1: You're listening to the Pure Desire podcast. Your safe place to find hope, healing, and freedom from sexual addiction, betrayal, and relationship issues. Hey, hey, hey! I'm your host Trevor Windsor, and you're listening to episode 214 of the Pure Desire podcast. You're joining me as always is my co-host Nick Stumba.
2: It's the final countdown.
0: <laughs> down, oh,
2: so good. Down, down, Let's
1: down. We did a sermon series when I was on staff at Countryside. Uh, We did a series on the book of revelation called the final countdown and the Ooh, walk-up nice. song to every <laughs> single sermon. You did a was walk-up song yes, for the pastor? We absolutely. The, our senior pastor was like this like eighties rocker guy, uh, who had, he looks like Guy Fieri yeah. and has spiked hair and they're tipped and everything. And it just, it was awesome. And he got such a He was laughing every time as he got up to the stage. It was awesome. Also don't preach on the book of revelation. If you've never read the book of revelation, it's really difficult. Um, okay. So uh, let's tie it in a little bit to what sure. you're talking about. We had um, one of our clinicians, Bob Vandermeer, on the podcast to talk about the, the Robert myth. Robert Vandermeer, yes. Esquire. Esquire. Um, to talk about the myth that men need sex every 72 hours.
2: Yes. And, you know, I think for some men, it can be like a countdown clock in their head of like, well, it's been a day. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, oh, it's been two days. It's got to be like, I really need because every three days. And if I don't, I'm going to go crazy or, you know there are all these uh, cultural things. There are things that have been represented in media. And even yeah. uh, as we've discussed on this podcast before, in the Christian realm, that standard that James Dobson mentioned it all the way back in the seventies, like, well, every three days, couples ought to uh, find a way to have sex because that just, you know, keeps their marriage vows in place and makes sure that no one will stray. And yeah. And we've kind of created this elevation of getting that need met within marriage as the primary way to keep men from straying. And we just, we want to really unpack that myth and all the ways that it's damaged, I think, men, but also relationships and women and and how singles have learned to navigate that. So it's, it's just such a loaded myth that, as you even mentioned today, Trevor, as we got into this episode, I, th- I think we all realized, man, there's more connected to this idea than we even realized yep. when we started.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it really... I really was. It's probably one of my favorite episodes we've done. Um, so it's, it is a good one. A um, few things before we get into it. Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Bethesda Workshops. They're located in Nashville, Tennessee. Bethesda Workshops provide short-term Christian-based clinical workshops for people affected by sexual addiction. They're led by certified sexual addiction therapists, and they do four-day workshops, Um, They're for partners of sex addicts, male and female sex addicts, couples, and teens. The fees for these workshops cover lodging, meals, transportation to and from the airport, and payment plans and limited scholarships are available. Bethesda Workshops is one of our sponsors for our upcoming Pure Desire Summit September 10 and 11 online or in person at Harvest Christian Church in Troutdale, Oregon. For more info on Bethesda Workshops and to register, you can visit Bethesdaworkshops.org. We'll make sure that's in the show notes, and you can jumpstart your healing process there. Uh, A few more things. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't on all the major platforms. We are at Pure Desire PDMI on social media, and we do have full episodes of these up on YouTube. Just search Pure Desire Ministries. And here is our conversation on the myth that men need sex every 72 hours. Bob Vandermeer, welcome back, my friend. Thanks. Pleasure
3: to be here. In person. In person, in the flesh. Yeah. Encarnacion,
2: as they say. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You are fluent. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Appreciate it. That was impressive. I didn't say affluent. So, yeah. Okay. Anyways. Okay. So, um, let me just give a little backstory to this episode. So we had, um, well, a couple of things. One, I've heard you say a phrase that I'm not going to take from you. I feel like you might say it during the episode, but I remember hearing you for the first time at a men's event, Mm -hmm. say something, um, against what we're going to talk about today, Mm. um, when it comes to sex for men. And so specifically, yeah, controversial. How do you say that in Spanish? I'm yeah, just exactly. kidding. Um, so there was that. And then mixed with, we had Sheila Ray Gregoire on um, and talked about some of this too. Um, some of it is also the PSAP. There's just a lot of different things that are kind of catering to this conversation. And so we're excited to talk about the myth that specifically men need sex every 72 hours. Pause for dramatic effect, yeah. right? Um, so yeah, let's well, it's, just- It is in the show title. So people is. at this point already know what we're talking
2: about wow. and- Maybe they're listening because they're like, wait a minute, that's not a myth. Mm-hmm. What, um, so we're glad you're checking it out mm-hmm. and we hope that that's this right. really will be thought provoking.
3: Absolutely. They, they might not have seen the word myth and we're hoping that they could use this like to justify <laughs> what they've been telling Absolutely. people. Absolutely.
1: Uh-huh. Also, sex every t- uh, 72 hours is not necessarily saying for one gender or the other. It, there's, there's some mm-hmm. ambiguity in there, let's, yes. but let's explore it. Sure. Where does this perspective come from? The perspective that men need sex every 72 hours. And is it based on data, research? What can we say about it?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that for some people there is, the, there is a physiological perspective that says that this is like a cycle that men particularly go through um, in the re- regenerating of whether it's like semen or seminal fluid mm-hmm. or whatever else, like yeah. to say that, okay, there's something that's being regenerated here and it's got to go somewhere. And, um, and that's, I mean, that's a real thing. There is like a pattern that's going on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I, th- I think then what they're saying, well, I'll stop there. We'll save other parts for later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I say we could answer all the questions yeah, if we just know. get going, yeah. but
2: yeah, that, that's the truth of, there is a bodily response that after sex or masturbation, uh, a guy is refueling those fluids and around that 72 hour mark, it's as. Filled up as it's going to get, if yep. you will. Yeah. But then the myth being, well, then that demands that there must be some kind of outlet, and that's what we want to get into. Is like, is that reality? Because we're feeling something in our bodies, mm-hmm. does that mean that it justifies how we handle it? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think, like this perspective, I what I from my understanding, the the history of it and understanding how it fits into culture, it's not coming from this bad place, mm-hmm. like per se. Um, I think a lot of people understand sexual addiction or pornography addiction or affairs is motivated by a lack of sex in a marriage. And so, oh, okay, I'm going to go to pornography or I'm Mm going to go have affairs or whatever. And so I think um, there's some biblical backing for this, the idea of not withholding your body from your spouse. I think some people root it in that. I also think people root it in, obviously, as you guys talked about the biology, but also... Um, just the idea of how do we facilitate sexual health in a marriage and mm-hmm. keep people from going outside the confines. Now, mm-hmm. I think people who listen to the podcast know we're calling this a myth right now, but then also that's not our perspective. That's not how you stay sexually healthy because addiction can be a part, brokenness can be a part of any marriage. Sure. If you're having sex every single day, you can still be watching pornography or having affairs. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. And, so. and having sex every single day might also be the byproduct of addiction. Absolutely, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, it could be anywhere on the spectrum from sexually acting out to sexual anorexia that yes. we've also talked about, yeah, that, sure. that a lack of sex can also be a byproduct of a lot of unhealth. So uh, w- to take this a little deeper, Bob, let's think about the message of, you know, men need sex every three days. How is that message
3: damaging perhaps to men themselves and to women? Yeah, and I think that obviously there's reason this is question two following question one, uh, like the idea that this is what's happening like physiologically, this is what my body's producing, then is used as maybe a justification to say, well, this is that means we should be having sex this often. Mm-hmm. And so like maybe for uh, for the for a man, like maybe he doesn't have that sexual drive. Yeah. Um, and maybe he doesn't have that same pattern. Yeah. Uh, and so there creates an expectation of what should be happening. Uh, but then also same thing for like for a spouse that's like, okay, well, this is what should. Again, this word should, right? Yeah. This should be happening because that's what his body's doing. So this is what I should be doing. Yeah. And so then if, one, if their sexual drive isn't like that, Two, if the marriage relationship, there isn't this like emotional right. um, kind of connection that's mm-hmm. happening, this emotional intimacy, then sex every three days, I mean, maybe they just got in an argument. Maybe yeah. someone just got hurt. Maybe someone just had a baby. Like yeah. it's, that doesn't take into consideration right. all of the other external factors that are going on emotionally yep. and physically like between these two people. Yeah. Um, and then I think another part of it then is what if I'm traveling, right? I've heard guys use this one. Well, I'm traveling. And so like three days have gone past and I'm and I'm out of town, like what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Like right. I literally had a guy heard a heard a guy say, What am I supposed to do? <laughs> Like, and he just paused like that, (laughs) like, like, oh, okay. As if there was no other answer or other like possibility, like a third option. Yeah. Sex, masturbation. Is there a third option maybe? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think that's the danger of this message is that it assumes if I feel a desire or a need that it must be met. Yeah. That's dangerous. And we wouldn't equate that like to eating. I mean, there is a pattern that because of how I've been eating my whole life probably every five to six hours, I am going to get hungry. Mm-hmm. But if I assume that, well, that, that hunger then means I must meet that need. And it doesn't even really matter how I meet it because, mm-hmm. well, I'm hungry and I can just justify eating
1: yeah.
2: garbage or junk food all day long. Like, well, I was hungry. Like, well, that's not going to fly when I go to the doctor and my cholesterol levels are through the roof and I'm unhealthy. Yeah. It's like, I've, I've equated a desire or a need of uh, uh, something I feel is a need yeah. that, well, then mm-hmm. I have a right to meet it however I can. And I, I just think what we're trying to recognize as human beings, whether men or women, married or single, is that we all feel desires. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to just assume that, well, that's a legitimate desire, that those desires might be coming out of emotional unhealth. They might be coming from other unmet needs yeah. that now is expressing itself as in a desire for a way to cope with the pain or to medicate how I'm feeling. And that's just a trap I think that all of us can get in, in our brains and in our life. It's like, well, I'm feeling something, I need to go meet that need mm-hmm. versus taking a time out and maybe like what Jenna Remersma would say, that U-turn of looking inside to say, why am I feeling this? Mm-hmm. Um, and and what are legitimate options? Because maybe there is just more than option A or B. Either yeah. I have sex or I masturbate, yeah. that there are alternatives to how I can learn to respond to things that I'm feeling or desiring in my body.
3: Yeah. Are we answering this question also primarily in the uh, context of like sexual addict? and a couple yeah. that's working through sexual addiction yeah yeah so um I, you've heard me tell this story before uh but while I was getting my vasectomy uh I was talking to the urologist um he started a conversation <laughs> every good joke me, starts now right so I, I was actually like while the procedure was happening he started talking talking to me he said oh yeah you work with sex addicts right I got a couple questions for you I'm like okay uh the and irony
1: of what's happening yes, in this room it was, right now, yeah. right?
3: Well, and so um, so we were having this conversation and I had a question for him along the lines of this. And basically what his response was is that our body also um, produces based upon use. Mm. And so for the sexual addict, if you're acting out daily, every couple of days, whatever the frequency is, yeah. your body's also producing based Higher upon levels. the usage- yeah. Yeah. And so like, yeah. you're almost then creating this scenario, yeah. like creating the scenario that you're having these physical urges or the, or even the, like the byproduct of, of like this fluid buildup. And mm-hmm. now what are you going to do with it? Right. But like, if in the acting out pattern, like you are creating this yes. and perpetuating it. And then if now all of a sudden you're using your wife as an excuse, like to perpetuate it, like you're just, you're creating this yep. yeah. and it's not necessarily even to the, that this is what's healthy. Yeah. but this is the pattern that you've created. Yeah. It's the appetite yeah. that you've and, created, and that's
2: exactly where I think it becomes so damaging to women and in a marriage because the the husband can bring that perspective of oh, I have this need, and you know we're already underscoring it's not a it's need. Not a need. Mm-hmm. But if we've learned to think yeah. of it as a need that needs to be met every seventy two hours, that's how
3: God created my body,
2: right? But we haven't realized like, yeah, well, maybe since the age of twelve, I've started to masturbate at that time, and for. Years, if not decades now, that's been my pattern. And just yep. what you're saying, Bob, it's something we've created, and now we're putting mm-hmm. that expectation onto a spouse that never agreed to that, you know, um to that pattern in our yep. lives. And so we're just asking them to meet a need that we've created, and that may not be healthy for the relationship at all. Now, yeah. some couples listening to this, maybe that is about the frequency of their marriage. And if you're good with that, like, we're not trying to say that that's bad. If you're in your marriage having sex about every three days, great. If that's a good pattern, and we're going to get yep. more into this later, but like if that's your pattern, great. Yeah. We just don't want to see in a marriage a wife feeling like it's now my role
1: to meet a need that they've spent 30 years creating. Yep. Yeah, I think... One of the things, too, off of our episode with Sheila, and thinking about this, too, that this isn't just a message that um, specifically wives will hear from their husbands. This is also a message they hear from the stage at churches or from books that they read. And so it's something to consider, too, that you might be inadvertently shaming this wife because if I'm not meeting this every three days, but my husband is acting out with pornography or having affairs or whatever the message is going to be, it's my fault. Mm -hmm. I'm not living up to this quote unquote standard. Therefore, this is why my marriage is falling apart. Yeah, And you, you are destroying that person in that moment with that message. You truly are. So I think the spouse, like both get them, Mm -hmm. both get, you know, and I, cause I, we talked to Rosie McKinney a few episodes back too, about this idea that men um, get into this, um, this like lane of thinking that like, I am single-minded and I can't actually control this urge, therefore Mm -hmm. I need to just justify Mm -hmm. it all the time, where it's like sex, good, you know, and that's the only thing a man can think of. That minimizes the value and, um, I mean, the man being created in God's image, the intelligence he has, whatever it may be. So this has, I, I think, reaching to both spouses, tons of shameful and harmful messages for sure.
3: Yeah.
1: You sound like you had more. No, I was going to wait for you. Asking okay, asking cool. So, the next question then. Um, and this is getting into um, what our friend Mo Isom has called sexpectations. Um, and so, how does this perspective set up couples for potential disappointment when it comes to sex in their marriage? Uh, so I, I think, like, right, the expectation, that's that's I think
3: the, the key This word is my here. favorite
1: part about having you on here is you dissect the words in the context of every question. <laughs> it's the
3: expectations. And if, one, if the expectations are based off of like this physiological pattern that we've already established, maybe based off of years of addiction and not using sex in a healthy way, but using it as a way to act out. So like if if the expectation is based off of that, then we're kind of setting ourselves up for trouble. Um, but if the expectation is based off of a conversation, like the expectation is is based off of, Nick, what you're saying, like, hey, this is healthy for us, then that's different. But if, but if the expectation is built off of a misguided presupposition of what it should be – Uh, Then, yeah, then the husband is going to be thinking, well, this is what I should be getting. The wife's going to be thinking, this is what I should be giving. And like when those things don't meet up, then let's just say that on the third day, right, that like they have friends over and then the friends leave and they have to clean up after them and then they're exhausted and you know what I mean? And they don't have sex. Well then, the husband like he's laying there in bed all irritated because he didn't get some, and then the wife is laying there feeling like, "Oh my gosh, I let my husband down," but I'm so exhausted and I can't think about anything except right. for. I everything hope he doesn't. I, have I hope
1: up. he doesn't ask me for it because I don't want to disappoint him because we talked yeah. about this. And then there's this, this internal circle that goes and that goes it's and not goes and based and
3: off of their relationship and like right. the flow of life, yeah. but it's based off of just this expectation. Yeah.
2: Well, and I think that's the disappointment then that the husband can feel, and I've heard this in my own life, particularly in my season of being addicted to pornography and married, is that when it wasn't happening regularly enough for me, I would get this internal message that says, she's not meeting my needs, Mm -hmm. which has all kinds of real destructive concepts for me that I'm now using to kind of turn towards my wife with blame. And so A, it's that I'm still calling it a need and I Mm -hmm. haven't questioned where that need comes from. And I've turned uh, the role of sex into being primarily about meeting yep. my needs. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't say to myself, oh, I missed an opportunity to have a deeply meaningful connection with my <laughs> right. spouse that was mutually enjoyable and and fun. No, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. saying she didn't meet my needs. So right. there's yeah. there's that dynamic. And then just the final disappointment of like, I don't matter. That That now becomes a negative message that I'm hearing, yeah. all based around a false standard of how right. often I should be getting my needs met. Yep. So... I think when we start to unpack that, you just go, wow, we've, we've maybe attached a lot of meaning to something mm-hmm. that we find value in. And when it doesn't happen, then couples can really beat themselves up or yeah.
1: turn with that blame perspective towards the other saying, why don't yeah. you care about me? And I think it sets it up for comparison. Like I think, um, I, know, I know we've had a lot of conversations even inside uh, of staff here that there's this natural assumption that other people have a better sex life than I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't exactly know where that comes from. It, it's probably culture. Um, but also we, a lot of times equate the amount or level of sex in a marriage to the health of that marriage, Mm -hmm. um, which is those two do not equal each other. Like one couple can have sex once a month and be way healthier than a couple that's having it one, two, three, four, five times a week, because that could be complete. Like, as you were talking about earlier, motivated by this addiction and you're using your spouse as basically as I think as Dr. Ted has coined it, like as a masturbation machine Mm -hmm. at that point, which that's really kind of that's that's just really hard to hear that yeah. kind of language, but really that's what's happening. And so I think that there's this comparison where maybe there's a couple who feels close and feels connected but only has sex once a month. And they look at these other, you know, they hear the message and they look at other uh, couples that they know are having more sex. And they think, wow, we're not a healthy couple. Mm-hmm. And then shame can just jump in there. It's like all these openings that shame can just jump in when it comes to believing this, this myth, really.
3: Yeah, and that's that line. I don't know if the one you are referring to at the very beginning, that that frequency does not equal health.
1: That's one of them. That's it's not the them? one. We'll okay. come to it, yeah.
3: That frequency does not equal <laughs> health. And, and yeah, I mean, you and I have talked about this, you know, even just personally hanging out talking yep. about like, okay, what, is, like, what does this look like? And so if the expectation is that 72 hours equals health… Mm-hmm. Uh, then we're also missing all of these other opportunities for connection, right? Because like what if you guys are exhausted but you still want to connect? Can't you cuddle? Yeah. Like can't can't you feel valued and give value through non-sexual mm-hmm. physical touch? Yeah. Um, but that option kind of isn't there if the expectation is that we're showing value and receiving value through sex every, you know, frequency, yep. whatever.
2: Yep, yeah. So here's kind of a flip of the perspective and co- a question that probably – Many of our listeners have never heard asked or talked about, but I think it's great that we discuss it. Why isn't there a similar myth for women? Because I don't know culturally any myth of like, well, women must have this sexual release
3: every so often to stay healthy. Like, why is there no corollary for women? Yeah. Uh, definitely a loaded question. Um, I, I, one of them that I think that may culturally is challenging is that if men have a high sex drive, that it's equated with like virility and health. And if women have a high sex drive, it's kind of like, ooh, mm. are you okay? And wow, and so good. like that myth, yeah. then then we don't, like we're almost straying away from the idea that a woman may actually have like as high of a libido, if we want to use that word, right? Yep. As as yep. a male counterpart, um, but but we don't think about it that way. I mean, like we use words like like stud versus slut, right? I mean, that's like the slut yeah. shaming kind of cultural thing of like if you have a high sex drive, it's a negative thing. But if you're a man, you have a high high sex drive, then like you're
1: good, bro. Pound it, bro. Way to yeah, go. and yeah, it's just right. and it's
3: not um, yeah. and so it's not it's not I think fair in that mm-hmm. sense. And so we may stray away from even having an expectation that. That a woman could even have the sexual desires yeah. on like the frequency that that isn't just based on, um, I don't know, her man,
1: if Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I think when we were doing uh, module one of PSAP, Adrian Hickman, um, and he kind of made it as like a passing comment. And I, I would guess he's right, is that uh, he asked the question, do you know who made this perspective up? He's like, it's probably a man. (laughs) Like, you know, and it's true. Like it is true. true. There is some biology stuff. So there's definitely some like reasons that people can like feel like this is very founded. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that that's a a pretty, I I would guess that's an accurate assessment that this came from a male perspective.
2: Well, and I think it's rooted in that cultural and even church perspective that we've discussed in a couple of the recent podcasts um, that that just kind of says, well, men are sexual Mm -hmm. and women are emotional or Mm -hmm. relational. And uh, those are really unfair stereotypes yeah. because men are emotional too and men have relational needs just as women are also sexual beings mm-hmm. because God created all of us, male and female in his image, designed us all with sexual organs yeah. and sex chemicals in our brain yeah. and and designed our bodies to respond to sexual touch and pleasure. And so I, I think the reason there's not a corollary is because we have lost sight of sure of the male and female reality. And that's, that's not to say men and women are the same. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that men and women's bodies or brains respond the same, because there are differences. Mm-hmm. But I think by and large, we live at a time that is just completely devalued or ignored women's sexuality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That there is a very healthy side that women are sexual beings. Yep. Yeah. Just like there's a very healthy side that men are emotional beings. Sure. And, yeah. and taking those realities seriously, uh, I think is a big part
3: of, of the growth that needs to happen. Yeah, I think most yeah. sex ad, most male sex addicts uh, view their penis as the center of the sexual universe, mm-hmm. and so like to think outside of that, yeah. you know, would be to like what you're saying, attribute there's a there's a sexual value to what my wife may or may not want, and right. and but we but in general, the sexual addict does not think beyond yeah. like the center of their sexual universe, yeah, and what their needs, wants, whatever are, and so it's it's like it's maybe it's not even an afterthought, yeah of what the reality might be, uh, for their spouse.
1: A great irony in this question, in this conversation. And I think it was Jay Stringer who first said it. And I've said it a couple of times on the podcast that, um, that of the two genders, there's one that has one part of their body that is primarily and only for mm-hmm. sexual climax. And it's the woman, it's the clitoris. It's mm-hmm. literally, that's all it's there for is yeah. sexual pleasure. And like, God did that, Mm -hmm. and that to me directly implies that women should have sex and should have climax, and it's a part of this beautiful thing that God's created. So I just think it's just this interesting irony um, for me that of the two genders, it's actually a woman that has that. Um, Okay, so we have kind of covered this a little bit, but let's get more specific. What are subtle messages that men and women and think um, struggling or addicted men and women Mm -hmm. and then also betrayed... Uh, women and men, what does this communicate to them? What are these subtle messages that this myth can communicate to people yeah
3: if i don't if i don't meet this standard there's something wrong with me, yeah, mm-hmm. which is the like on on both sides of it yeah like, like if i don't meet this standard there's something wrong with me why don't I want it more or mm-hmm. why do I want it so much you know or like why why am why do I feel like unequally kind of yeah. um, horny for lack of a better term, like yeah. with my spouse, like, why are we meeting up? Are we, are we supposed to be together? Are we a good fit? You yeah. know what I mean? Like all of the stuff that comes from
1: it. Yeah. Um,
3: but it's the, like, I don't meet this. What's wrong with me?
1: I think obligation, the, uh, the perspective that obligation sex is good. Mm-hmm. Um, which, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that if you would have asked me, we would have talked about it before. Or, and I know this, I keep going back to this interview with Sheila Ray Grigwar, but, um, that just, I felt like it opened uh, some new perspectives for me or put some language to some things. And so um, she talked about that the female body, um, if, if, if a woman continues to do obligation sex over and over and over, over a period of time, her body will physically respond as if she's been sexually abused, mm-hmm. um, that the vaginal wall will tighten mm-hmm. and um, that sexual arousal just doesn't happen as easily. Mm-hmm. That was like mind shattering to me. Um, but I think that that's one of the things that it communicates is that obligation sex is good. Mm -hmm. Um, or you should do that even if you're not in the mood. And, you know, I, I think about even conversations, even the three of us have had, like, um, the question, sometimes people ask the question, like, what is okay in the bedroom? Are toys okay? Like bondage stuff, different things like that. And the perspective that we so often land on is if both spouses feel cared for and feel valued and feel comfortable, then then we would say that that that's something that maybe is okay for your relationship. And I think the same thing can be true just when you're approaching sex in general. Like maybe it should be something where you're not just doing it every 72 hours or just because one of the spouses feel horny. Like what Mm -hmm. if we started to pursue a marriage where both of us enter into it when we feel valued, when we feel comfortable, when we feel safe? Um, Now I'm not saying that because I know with, um, I know I'm kind of going on and on, but I, I think if you just had a kid, Um, or, you know, my wife is running around with two young boys. Like she's tired at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like when I come home, my wife is going to be like, I've been waiting all day to have sex with you. She's just like, (laughs) please take the boys and let me go upstairs for a minute. Like, and that made her sound like a bad mom. She's not (laughs) a bad mom, but like. Things like that, they're just rhythms. I feel like that's something you and I talked about, Bob, a lot, rhythms
2: in a marriage. and I think that's the reality we want to say about marriage is it is highly unlikely that both spouses will have the same uh, desire for sex in Mm -hmm. terms of frequency. I mean, once in a while, maybe a marriage it is, but but by and large, there will be one that wants sex more often and one that is comfortable with it less often. And we can stereotype that to be, well, it's always the man that wants more and the woman that wants less. But that's not necessarily true, that, yeah. that it could be either direction. I think the important thing to acknowledge is that's a reality of marriage, that one of us will likely be interested in it more often than the other. Yeah. And that's part of the dance of marriage that we learn, okay, how do, how as a couple together, are we going to navigate this? Because there will be the need for compromise, for communication. I don't mean compromise like your standards or your values, but in terms of, okay, this maybe isn't the frequency I want, but I care about you and I'm willing and I'm open. Like, so here's how we've learned to to meet each other in the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just a part of the marriage dance. So I, I think with this, those are the conversations more married couples need to have because I find a lot of couples just aren't talking about it. Yeah. Like he's mm-hmm. always pressuring and she's always saying no. Yeah. And they've never really talked about how could we have a healthier relationship right. that, that navigates this difference of desires? Because yeah. that is just common in marriages. Um, when you asked the question, though, about the subtle messages, the two things that came to mind for me, and you mentioned this, Trevor, but I wanted to reemphasize mm-hmm. it. I think it's the subtle message that these desires are stronger than I am. Mm -hmm. They're bigger than me. They're Mm -hmm. beyond my capability to handle. So the only answer is back to what you said, Bob, option A or B, sex or masturbation. Because beyond that, there's just no possibility Mm -hmm. I can control it. And that is... That is such a deflating message towards our ability to grow, mm-hmm. to become disciplined, to practice self-control yeah. and, and where we're struggling to believe that, well, just because I'm maybe at a place now, I do feel trapped. I mean, if, if a guy or a gal is in sexual addiction, they maybe do feel like it's bigger than them and it, it has been out of their yeah. control, but that's not to say that it always will be and that it always has to be. Mm -hmm. There can be growth and change and transformation. So we need to guard against that message. Um, And I think the other message is just the word entitlement. The every three days to me is really rooted in entitlement, that I have needs, I have rights about how those needs should be met. Mm -hmm. And if you as my spouse aren't helping me with those rights and needs that I'm entitled to, then I'm also entitled to be angry at you, disappointed to, to somehow treat you differently because I was entitled to something I didn't get. And that, that entitlement message, whether it's about sex or just how we treat one another, if entitlement becomes part of any relationship, it's going to be damaging that relationship. Yep. So we really need to guard against, I
1: think, that subtle message. And that's what pornography teaches. Yeah, Specifically, our sexualized and pornified culture teaches it's about me and mm-hmm. my, I mean, just, I mean, don't think about it, but consider the perspective that pornography teaches <laughs> <laughs> that it is about the male climax. Yeah. Period. I mean, that's, that is the way it's presented, the narrative.
3: I think about like people that in the morning, they're like, they're a jerk because they haven't had their coffee yet. And so the only solution is that they have to have their coffee. Right. Right. Because otherwise they're a jerk.
1: Don't yeah. talk to me. I haven't had my coffee I have yet. a mug that that has the like different <laughs> the, uh-huh. levels where it's like, don't talk to me yet. And then the second uh-huh. one is getting closer. Uh-huh. And then when it's gone, it's like, okay, now you can yeah, talk to me. Yeah, now you can talk yeah. to me. Yeah. And
3: like, it, it's like, it's ironic and it's yeah. funny and whatever, you know, I think part of it is just that it's in the morning and we're not fully awake yet. But the point is, it's like, we 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 have this thinking though. It's like, I haven't had my coffee. Don't talk to me. Yeah. The only solution here is that I need coffee. We don't think about possibly, hey, have you thought that maybe you have an unhealthy relationship with caffeine?
1: Yeah, or you didn't sleep well and last night, poor. or you ate poorly yesterday. Yeah, there's or... other
3: options. Gosh, And yes. so like the perspective with this of like, if I don't have sex, if you don't give me what I'm entitled Probably, to, yes. I'm going to die. And the only solution is more sex, right? <laughs> and, like that's the perspective. It's like, no – Maybe you have an unhealthy relationship with sex and your and, spouse. <laughs> and maybe you're angry yes. because there's right. emotions that you haven't learned to deal with. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that obviously comes back to what we do in, in dealing with sexual addiction, is we know it's driven by pain and fear and how we've learned to process life. Yeah. So you're using coffee as a way to cope with that. You're using sex as a way to cope with that. Like the solution is not more coffee and more sex. Yeah. The solution it's not is not more re- cowbell. We know it's either. not yeah. more cowbell. <laughs> it's not one of those. We got a fever. I'm not going to do a, a <laughs> impersonation. Um, But yeah, like that's not the only solution. Yeah. Like the other solution is maybe I should step back and take a look at this and figure out there's more going on behind the scenes, like emotionally Mm
2: -hmm. for me. Yeah. So let's talk about that. What are some of the practical ways we can change this thinking in our marriages or even just in our own brains. You know, for single people listening, yeah. we are kind of putting this in the context of marriage. But I think singles battle this as much, if not more, like, mm-hmm. I got this need. I just need to figure out a way to meet it. Like, so how can
3: we yeah. change our thinking mm-hmm. about how we approach this? Conversations, like, so in a married, in the context of marriage, like, uh, talking about what you actually really have in your expectations. Yeah. And uh, and what are you also doing to connect emotionally, right? I mean, we've spent so much time talking about the emotional intimacy has to be a foundation on which sexual intimacy is built. And so what are you doing for emotional intimacy? If your only way of connecting, I've heard couples talk about this, well, that's just how we connect. Like, okay, but was that it? Like, that's again, yeah. that's the only thing you're doing. Yeah. So um, So some practical ways, like talk about what your expectations are for frequency, both of you. Mm-hmm. And if one person... Uh, and, and this might sound unfair, but really the person that has like the lower frequency expectations, like that has to be where you start Yeah. because otherwise it moves into entitlement. Otherwise it moves into obligatory sex. Yeah. And like, but that's where you need to start because it, you think, well, no, I'm going to compromise and you're going to compromise. Well, like if we play that, you're going to compromise by getting naked and laying on a bed and letting me do what I want. Right. That just uh, yeah. sounds off. so this sounds bad yeah sounds unhealthy and so like i'd say have this conversation and and start there like if if one person isn't comfortable with with whatever the frequency is okay what are you doing to develop emotional intimacy yeah are you spending time together like have you ever thought about instead of having sex one night cuddling yeah not as not not cuddling as a way to get to sex not a stepping stone but as a way um to just connect emotionally yeah
1: I think, um, and I, I haven't fully developed this perspective or thought, but I just, I so often think there are so many different areas of discipleship that become a community thing. And like talking about sex inside of marriage with other married couples shouldn't be mm-hmm. all bad. Mm-hmm. Like we should be able to have conversations about, um, about sex and not just like, well, how many times are you doing it this week? Mm-hmm. How many times have you doing it this week? It's not like a comparison thing, but there's, we gotta be able, there's, there's gotta be a way. That's my idealistic brain. There's gotta be a way. That we can get to that point where we can talk about it and talk about what it looks like and be able to encourage each other in sexual health in our marriages. Like, we encourage each other with parenting tips. Mm -hmm. Like, why can't we encourage sexual health tips in marriages? Mm -hmm. You know? And so I think that including people um, is a part of it. And and attached to that is your own healing, dealing with, you know, as Julie Slattery talks about it, we all have a level of sexual brokenness in Mm -hmm. our life, whether that looks like on the anorexic side where um, I don't desire sex or don't need it or feel like it should be a part of my life or whatever. And then the people who are just like overdo it all the time, it has to be everything. So I think that identifying where I'm at on that spectrum and then taking some steps, one of the great ways is doing group, um, Mm -hmm. going through counseling, uh, going through a resource, something guiding you through it.
2: I I think in a marriage, it's finding ways to honestly communicate how we're feeling i mean i think it's appropriate for a husband to say i'm just i'm really feeling a lot of desire for you today Mm -hmm. and and in a non-pressuring way not like so you know you're gonna be ready but just to try to (laughs) honestly communicate it's because of this happened or Mm -hmm. maybe even acknowledging Mm -hmm. i think it's because i'm really low and i've had some of this in the last few years in my marriage where i'll recognize i'm in a really low place emotionally which makes me want to use sex to meet that need yeah and in Caring, bringing that up with my wife, it's helped me to say it not in a way like, so can you meet that need? Yeah. It's helping her understand what I'm feeling, engaging in the conversation um, where I'm able to think through, and she's mm. able to help me think through what's really at the root of this desire. Yeah. and And is, you know, is sex really what you need? And actually that's been tremendously helpful because it it not only gives me better perspective on how to handle that need. Yeah. But it gives my wife some perspective of what are the things that I've had to learn to change and overcome, and she can kind of see where, oh, it's not just that you always had this high sex drive. It's like Mm -hmm. those are the things that that connected in your past, and I can be a part now of your recovery by helping you navigate those things better, Mm -hmm. and so that when we are intimate as a couple sexually, it's because it's what we want and desire for each other, not just because well I'm I'm horny today. Right. Uh, The thing that comes to mind for me, like with singles that are listening, you know, I. I find it remarkable in our culture especially for I think young single men we live in such a sex saturated culture and there's still a belief that like we can we can have our cake and eat it too like we can just kind of expose our brains to a very sexually driven culture and then at the end of the day still avoid masturbation still avoid acting out yeah where we need to realize like this is kind of a fire in terms mm-hmm. of yeah. that, that if we're adding fuel to it all day by yeah. being on you know questionable Twitter feeds or Instagram accounts and we're watching shows that have you know sexual content and yeah. we're hearing about it on the radio like if if that's kind of what's filling our mind, like we've just been heaping wood on the fire mm-hmm. right but then we're expecting not to get burned right like sure. well wow. I can contain good. it. It's good when really the, the truth is this is a progression in your brain that biologically the brain knows what the outcome is supposed to be yep. and so the more we rev the engine the more the brain goes well let's go to the place i've been designed to go to mm-hmm. so i think if we're in a single uh place it's not just learning to say no to the desire to masturbate it's analyzing all the other things i'm doing to either let that fire you know gently be put out as long as I'm single and as long as that's God's will in my life Mm -hmm. versus what am I doing to just create more and more desire? Because then resisting that will just get more and more challenging. So I I think there are a few things like that we could think about what is fueling this desire, married or single, Mm -hmm. and addressing those root issues or the underlying causes and not just making it about my physical body must have this. Because
3: there's almost always more to it than just the physical side. Sure. Yeah. yeah I think another way that uh, just kind of struck me to package this is that arousal doesn't mean that you need to act on arousal. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if you're single or married just because you were aroused, right. By something you saw, by something you thought of, yeah. by the temperature of the breeze in the room, right. <laughs> like just because you're aroused, doesn't mean that like, okay, I was aroused. Now I have yeah. to act on it. And it goes back to something you were saying earlier, Nick, um, I don't remember what it was. It was, but just it was there. really but good. It was great. It talk was about so good. about the good. hunger, right? And yeah, the food. And yeah, exactly. I'm just I because to eat. we have, yeah, just because we have the urge, yeah. or you know, the the, the physiological or biological, yep. Yep. you know, stimuli doesn't mean that we have to act on that. And and also then to say that arousal is not bad. Mm-hmm. That there, you know, we talk about this. It is amoral. Yep. There is no moral value to arousal. Yeah, and so married or single, like you're aroused, that's okay. Like acknowledge it. If you know, speak it to your spouse. You know, but that doesn't mean that you have to follow through with anything. Yeah. And so I just want to use that word because we were talking about like mm-hmm. three days, you know, stimulation, all that. But even the word arousal, like just because yeah. like your heart starts pumping and like, you know, like you, you, you're aroused doesn't mean that you have to follow through on it. But you can still acknowledge it. Yeah. Like you can still process through it. You can still say, OK, I wonder why that is. Are there other things going on? Like, um, but we don't have to act on it.
1: Yeah. I think a a, kind of a connection to that, something I wrote down, I wanted to also say for for this question is, um, I, at one point, um, I was really overweight and went through, uh, this change where I started to eat healthier and I lost all this weight. And what, um, what actually happens in your body is there is, uh, an element of it where your stomach starts to shrink a little bit, um, to where your appetite is not what it once was. Every guy
3: listening to this just thought, oh no, is my penis (laughs) going (laughs) to (laughs) shrink? Just to say that's not where I Trevor's just, going. I'm
1: not going to let you derail this with <laughs> Okay, that because okay, that was a great, great attempt, sir. Um, but I think the same is true that there is hope that with that retraining your brain and retraining just even physiologically this desire, because you talked about at the beginning that idea of we're training ourselves right over and over the every 72 hours kind of thing that as you get into group as you start getting healthy as you start to find the root of what is motivating the the desire to act out you're also going to see the desire not not necessarily that the, like the intensity or the desire for sex or climax is going to go away that's not what i'm saying what i am saying is though that you're going to start to train your brain that it doesn't feel like it needs to happen or mm-hmm. that arousal appetites isn't, can change absolutely that's what i'm trying appetites to get at appetites can Bob. be modified yeah, yeah. Totally. You know, I you know, knew where
2: you're going. I just knew where everybody else was thinking <laughs> hey, as Those well. are honest questions, <laughs> right? guys. I mean, because those are fears related to our view of masculinity. Mm-hmm. That, well, these Absolutely. things are what make me masculine. And yeah, if they no. change, I'm less of a man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is honestly part of what has to be confronted in this yeah. change is, yeah. what are even the ideals I hold on to of what it means to be a man? Because if I'm no longer acting out sexually, Every seventy-two hours, mm-hmm. a part of my brain might fear, "Well, am I as manly? Right. Well, I haven't had sex in several weeks, or 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 climaxed. Maybe right. I'm I'm losing it. Even or like, does my wife love me or and, want me? Yeah. Sure. And those those yeah. fears are not actually rooted in our bodies mm-hmm. or or true needs. Those yeah. are rooted in fears related to what we've
3: learned from a warped culture. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Val- value attached to whether sexual activity or climax or erection or mm-hmm. I mean, value attached to those things because they For the addict or for a lot of people, they represent value. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So um, this is a question that we get all the time. And I know it could be easy to kind of be lighthearted. But I think this question is motivated a lot of times out of this comparison. Or Mm -hmm. am I good enough? Or is my marriage healthy? Or you mean fill in the blank. And the question is just like straight up, how often should couples have sex? Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna make a joke, but I'm not gonna because you said don't be lighthearted.
0: Um, uh,
3: yeah, I, th- I think that my first thought is that there is really um, like in health in life, like there's no there's no static. You've heard me use this word a ton in our podcast. Like it's dynamic. Health yep. is dynamic. Mm-hmm. And so there is no quantity that is, this is the set quantity and we do this for the rest of our lives. Yes. I mean, Nick, you run a lot and you run every, you know, there's an average amount of times that you run in a week, an average amount of distances, but, but that's not the only way that you can approach. I mean, you can. It changes. It changes. Yeah. yeah. You know, and because health is dynamic. Mm -hmm. And so just first to say that whatever a couple says, Hey, I think this is probably feels right for us right now. Doesn't mean that that's like what you do. Right. Like you, you still, you still talk about it and you still act accordingly to like the age of your bodies or whether Mm -hmm. someone's sick or not, or whether your kids are home or whether, you know what I mean? There's so much stuff happening in life. Um, but you should, and you should also be intentional about Mm -hmm. it. And that may mean for some people planning it, like looking at your calendar for the week and saying, Hey, you know what? We see you got a couple nights here where I know we're not going to be exhausted and we have time (laughs) where we're going to be able to connect emotionally and like put it on the calendar.
1: Right. And I have a friend who says planned sex is sexy. It like, is. It's like it, it's something that you actually together make a decision that it's gonna happen. Yeah. And there's this um we went through a, a marriage resource that was talking about um planned allows both spouses to prepare for it. Mentally, yeah. emotionally, like, physically. And yeah. so but I love that because it doesn't feel sexy that mm-hmm. is planned. It would yeah. needs to be spontaneous. It yeah. needs to be out of nowhere. No, yeah, that's culture spectrum. Mm. Like have you had children? For the
2: moment spontaneous <laughs> yeah. on yeah. the kitchen counter. Yeah. yeah. No. We eat yeah. off the kitchen counter. <laughs> yeah. people like okay. kitchen utensils. The way I would.. Okay. Uh, the way I would say, I think, how often should couples have sex as often as they want? Mm-hmm. And I mean yeah. that intentionally, as totally. often as they, mm-hmm. not the world around them, not yeah. in comparison, not just driven by addiction, that they as a couple, in mutual agreement, as, as they've learned to yeah. talk and communicate and be aware of one another's needs and desires, it's as often as they Mm -hmm. and want that Mm -hmm. that there is a desire for that. Not as often as they feel obligated to, or as often as they must, as often as they want. And so there are couples in their season of life that it may be daily or multiple times a week. And that's awesome. Mm -hmm. But as Bob said, it may not always be. A few years down the road or a couple of kids later, things may adjust. And there may be other couples that it's it's once or twice a month. And yeah. for them, that's what they want that's and they're awesome. good with it. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I do think we've had some podcasts on this. We, we do want to mention again that sexual anorexia is a thing. Mm-hmm. And so if there's never sex, or we're, we're talking a few times a year, you're definitely veering into the area of something is amiss. Now that's, mm-hmm. I want to be careful. That doesn't mean that the the less interested spouse is at fault because mm. it could be there's still a sexual addiction totally, in the marriage totally. where there's so much trauma and hurt yeah. and betrayal. Both spouses don't feel safe to have more sex. But what, what I am saying by that sexual anorexia is that is as much a sign that something needs to be faced mm-hmm. as you know when sexual addiction becomes known. Yeah. So if it's not happening at all, mm-hmm. we want to address that. But otherwise it's such a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if it's what we want and we're good with in, in our season yeah. of life, whether it's daily or monthly, like that's yeah. great if it's, if it's for you and mm-hmm. and appreciate what you have and, and find that rhythm with your spouse.
1: And talk about it, man. Mm-hmm. Like just have conversations with your spouse about it. I mean, that's one of the things um, that I feel like I've learned from you and Rebecca is um, through our podcast together, through conversations we've had, just that idea that you have, like having conversations about it, are, it's going to help. Mm-hmm. And it's something that Um, far too couples, too many couples do not do like they should do it more. And it's just a good encouragement to, um, to sit down and have conversations about it. Maybe not right after rejection or right after Mm -hmm. you had sex. Like maybe it's, um, at your weekly planning meeting where you're talking Mm -hmm. through your calendar, but having conversations about it to where both spouses can feel heard and understood because you are probably, as we've already mentioned a few times, like you're going to have one spouse who wants it more and one spouse who wants it less like there can be a work toward a middle somewhere where you find that and that dynamic dance we've talked about.
3: Yeah. And the reality too, that like if you live to a ripe old age, at some point, you're going to stop having sex. So if that is the only thing that is a measure of like connection or quality of relationship, I mean, granted science might, science might catch up with us by then and maybe you'll be having sex until you're 120. I don't know, but most likely at some point you're going to stop having sex. And so we, like, the only measure of health in your marriage cannot be that yeah. because like, you could also have an accident. Like, there's all sorts of things to where like, maybe physiologically you can't even have sex anymore. Yeah. Like, so like, it, even to say whatever the patterns are, even if they're healthy patterns, what, like, it's not a guaranteed that it'll even mm-hmm. be there yeah. for the rest of your life. Yeah. So how could we Good possibly point. build our relationship yeah. health yep. on yep. something that might not even be there?
1: Pizza is a gift from God. Absolutely. I cannot eat it if I want to be healthy. Oh. That's like, nice. I'm just adding to that perspective. This like I don't need it in order to function or sure. be a full human. Yeah, that's true. Do I want it? Yeah. <sighs> so well, much. I want to yeah. pick up on something <laughs> you, you said,
2: uh, Trevor, about how important communication is. Because I think this is an area when in your marriage, and as we've said, it's the most common thing, that there are not two equal desires for frequency of sex. So mm-hmm. there's there's an area there yeah. that you differ really listen to one another mm-hmm. because I think a lot can be learned if a husband asks a wife, like, you say you'd be fine with sex once a month. Is there any reason or or why would you say that? And maybe the wife reveals like, I am just so stinking tired of raising our kids at the end of the day, that's the last thing I want is someone else touching me. And if the husband really listens, and we don't want to, you know, be in a place where we're trying to manipulate our sure. spouse for more sex. Yeah. But if they said, you know, what if once a week I took the kids all day, you know, to the park or did this and or or I did all the driving and that spouse, maybe the, the wife then can respond like, well, that, that, that might help. I mean, I'm yeah. not making any promises, mm-hmm. but, but if we listen and hear, and on the flip side, maybe the the one who wants it more often, the spouse is asked, is there a reason you want sex that frequently? What does it do for you? Mm-hmm. What, and if it's just, well, I, I enjoy it. You know, Maybe that's all there is to it. But I right. think a lot of times we might hear someone say, well, this really makes me feel connected to you. Yeah. And so then that spouse could ask, is there anything else we do that also makes you feel connected? And they reveal like, you know, when you affirm me and appreciate me, that actually is similar. And that spouse can be like, oh, it's not that you always need sex from me. What you're looking for is connection and Mm -hmm. affirmation. And there are a lot of ways I can provide this. So so meeting in the middle doesn't just mean equal numbers of sex. Meeting in the middle might be, I'm learning what you need and you're learning what I need. And we're finding ways to meet that. And when we're meeting one another's Emotional relational needs out of love, the byproduct of that will tend to be physical connection through sex because you're building intimacy in that conversation. Really, really listen. Yeah, yeah. Which Uh, is
3: sorry, just like just the the reality of that, right? That that we might hear in this conversation, um, hey, like I'm really exhausted from spending the whole day with the kids. And if our thought is, and you alluded to this, like if our thought is, okay, I need to take the kids so that we can have more sex, Mm. then we're not doing what you just said, that it's about intimacy, emotional intimacy. So like the thinking then should be, I need to take the kids so that my wife has time and feels supported and we're in this together, Mm -hmm. right? And then the byproduct of that is going to be better connection, more support, more emotional intimacy, with sex may be built well, on top and, of it. So and one like of the, the things. So, yeah. so the goal is is, yeah. is connection. The goal isn't sex. The goal right. is caring for your spouse. As right. you said, <laughs> listening too. Right. right. We're not listening for how to get more sex. We're listening for how to care for each other.
1: And what's interesting, we haven't actually touched on this. Uh, if I've missed it, I'm I'm sorry, but I don't think we've touched on like the um like the. Sorry, I'm, I'm blanking a little bit. It's not just the frequency of sex, mm-hmm. but like the quality of sex mm-hmm. will increase with intimacy. Sure. If you're having those conversations, maybe you don't increase in the amount of sex you're having mm-hmm. every single month, but the quality of that sex is going to be better based on the that being built on top of that intimacy. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's that too, that shift in the perspective as we're not after quantity, we're yeah. after like the quality of the connection there. Yeah.
2: No. yeah. So guys, in a lot of these questions, we've focused on the couple, the individual, kind of those private conversations that take place as we grow in this. But let's, uh, as we get towards this last question here, let's take it more to that community perspective or church perspective. What could we do to change this narrative as a community or as a church? Because I think narratives exist not only in individuals, but in the societies we're a part of. And so if we recognize this is also a message that's in the society Mm -hmm. I'm a part of, whether my family or my church, what could we do to change that narrative?
3: Yeah. Maybe take sex off of the pedestal. Uh, yeah. Like it's not, you know, it's not like it, that's not the place that it belongs. Like what belongs up there is health, mm-hmm. relationship, connection, uh, true intimacy, true emotional. Yeah. Intimacy with like this part of it. Right. Um, and so, yeah, having health up there as the goal, the goal is health. And like that health thing gets played out in all sorts of areas. And so like we should be talking about how we approach our finances just as much as we're talking about how we approach our sex or how no, our sex, how we approach sex, how we approach like how we prepare meals and the food that we eat, yeah. you know, like all of this. But it's like sex isn't isn't this this thing that we are like trying to attain to. Um, health is where we're trying to get to, yeah. a.k.a. Sanctification. Right. And uh, and so then sex becomes part of that conversation.
1: Yeah. One of the, um and this is the the thing that you said when we were at a men's oh, event. Yeah, you asked the question, if you don't have sex, will you die? Mm. And you asked it like with that kind of tone and everyone kind of chuckles and it's like, but no, really, will mm-hmm. you die? And the answer is no. Mm-hmm. And I think that... Now it's not that we need to share this perspective from the front every single week. Like, just remember, if you don't have sex this week, you're not you gonna to die. die. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, thanks, Pastor Bob. Um, he says that every week, but you know. But I <laughs> so think weird. that that message does need to get preached mm-hmm. because that message is so countercultural. Mm-hmm. It's so counterculture. Everything that we hear is that it needs to be sex. It needs to be any movie you watch. Have you ever seen except the ones the movies that maybe presented as this like awkward first time kind of thing. Like Mm -hmm. all of the sex scenes in movies are, they know exactly what they want, Mm -hmm. when they want it, climaxing at the same time, Mm -hmm. all of it. So this is a super unhealthy perspective. A way to fight back is to present that you don't need it in order to live or to even thrive in life. Like Mm -hmm. if Jesus was fully human and fully God and he lived, and I know this can be something that's so used to bash people, but I believe that it's true that Jesus lived a life where he didn't have sex, unless you watch the Da Vinci Code and think that that's reality he lived a full life yeah and he lived yeah. a, a holy it's not and healthy a lesser life no mm-hmm. absolutely and absolutely. i think um another thing too that has been really practical and helpful is Um, even saying something, uh, even to my wife, I know this has helped because you've talked about plan abstinence before. Mm -hmm. Um, especially if you're in recovery together, just starting, that's a really difficult place to be. If you just take sex off the table intentionally, Mm -hmm. but I even think communicating in moments of like, Hey, can I just rub your back right now? I just want you to know at the end, we're not going to have sex. Mm -hmm. I just want to rub your back or your feet, or I just want to talk to you or do something with you. I think that that says that sex is not the pinnacle of Mm -hmm. intimacy. It's that connecting with you. Is really what I'm after, and I think that helps retrain couples. Yeah, Yeah. the non-sexual
3: like touch, like non-sexual embrace, all of that, and to use those words. Hey, this is Mm non-sexual. Like I'm not. It's not even that this might lead to that. Like this is not leading to that. This is just what this is. This is just me showing you affection. But I think we even see this like what you're talking about in the movies. We even see this in Disney, like the the to use the word, but it's not what we've been referring to. The climax of like. The connection between these two main characters in Disney is when they finally kiss at the end of the movie. Yeah. Right. Right. Like we're even yes. kind of setting our kids up to say that mm-hmm. this is the ultimate, this is what we're yep. trying to get to. We're trying to get to that kiss. That
2: magical moment.
3: Because yeah, that it's kiss, kiss. It's pop, yeah. the rain's falling. Yes. Yep, yeah. Right. Like that represents yeah. where we're trying to get. Yep. As opposed to we're trying to get to Mutual understanding and care and support and like just being there for each other and friendship and right all of that. Uh, um, But we're in a sense like even through you know the cartoons that our kids are watching, like we're Mm kind of setting them up to say that this is what you're trying to get to.
2: I think on a culture or a community perspective, whether it's a family or our church, I think talking about this whole area of our desires is really key Mm. because every human being has desires and every human being has unmet desires that they're not entirely sure what to do with. And Mm -hmm. so particularly in the area of our sexuality, that's such a challenge when we're never even kind of trained, how do I deal with all these things I feel? And so we, over time, just learn, well, I feel something, then I go do something. Mm-hmm. And so we could do a lot as parents, as pastors, as leaders to train on that we all have desires. Yep. And and then the two sides of let's analyze where those desires might be coming from. Is it part of our arousal template yep. that was shaped by past trauma or wounds or family experiences? Mm-hmm. Um, what are all the things that have shaped desires? Because when we understand what created or has shaped our desires, it's like, oh, this isn't just because I'm some uncontrollable sexual being. Mm -hmm. Like this is a part of my development and I can see it. So that's one half of the equation with desires. And I think then the other half is we can do a lot to train. How do we handle Mm -hmm. unmet desires in a way that isn't just about getting what we want or think Mm -hmm. we need. Um, so better ways of reaching out for support, you know, creating community, having those outer circle habits that we talk about Mm -hmm. in our three circles tool of saying, what can I do instead of going to this old habit? that I view as unhealthy for me what yep. can i do instead that creates a sense of well-being peace connection in my life and whether that's a hobby or getting together mm-hmm. with a friend yep. or spending time you know listening to worship music like just what are all those healthy ways that any human being can handle their desires because mm-hmm. i think if if our cultural competency if you will of what we do with desires w- w- increased this whole myth would start to lose yep. its power because it's like, oh, yep. well, that's just one more desire that I feel. Yep. But I've learned ways to deal with desires. Mm-hmm. That it's not. I'm. I'm. I have some ability to handle
1: them well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So to quote Bob again. Yeah. If you don't have sex, will you die? And the answer is no. That this is a myth. And it comes from some good places, but also has some really harmful messages attached to it. And so we do need to work toward retraining our brain and looking and moving toward healthy relationships where sex is a part Mm -hmm. of the relationship, not the pinnacle. It's not the kiss at the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. It is just a part of the narrative and the flow that we have in our marriages. Bob, we love you. Thanks for being here. Yep, Love you guys too. And wherever you're at on your journey, Pure Desire is here to help create a roadmap for your healing. If you or someone you know is impacted by sexual brokenness or betrayal trauma, go to puredesire.org and let's start the healing journey today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Each week we put out new content to help you on the road to freedom from the effects of sexual brokenness and betrayal trauma. And lastly, never stop being healthy.
3: And you're not going to die.
1: Here's what's coming up next week on the Pure Desire podcast.